Find the reading in the book of Galatians. Chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5, verse 16. This I say then, walk in the Spirit, and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusteth against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. These are contrary one to the other, so that you cannot do the things that you would. But if you be led of the Spirit, you're not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these. Adultery, fornication, uncleanliness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, envings, murders, drunkenness, revelings. Notice what all he included in those verses. Adultery, fornication, uncleanliness, lasciviousness, which means lewdness or nakedness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, sedition, heresies, envies, murders, drunkenness, revelings, and such like. Which is simply saying, if I hadn't covered anything, other things that are like these things I've mentioned. Of the which I tell you before, as I've also told you in times past, that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. 17 through 16 through 21, if correctly read, of the fifth chapter of the book of Galatians. May we pray. Dear God, tonight, we thank you for letting us be at the house of God to worship. Realize there's multiplied millions of people tonight that don't have anywhere to worship. You've given this community a beautiful building in which to worship, comfortable building. You've given them a great leader, the pastor, to preach to them, to love them, to comfort them, and to guide them, and lead them. Now grateful we are that you've blessed this community, this area, with such a wonderful blessing as that. May we never cease to be grateful to you for these great things that you do for us. Oh God, how we pray that we shall just not take it for granted, but shall realize how good God is and has been to this community. Father, we pray tonight that you revive all of us that are saved and save all that's lost. We pray, God, that you'll take thy servant and loose his tongue and illuminate his mind and give us holy unction. 
When we're ready to leave from the service tonight, we pray we may leave with a consciousness that you were here and did something for each one of us. For these who've been requested to pray for tonight, we pray for them. Pray that you'll bless Ted and heal his trouble. Now, Father, we pray for the others that are sick. We pray now, Lord, that you'll just take us and use us for Jesus' sake. Amen. I've been dealing with you in the Word for the last two services about the need of God for you. But God, when he created you, needed you, or he wouldn't have created you. And I tried to stress that to you on yesterday. That there wasn't a one of you in the building that God didn't create for a specific purpose. And that you should never think of going into eternity without having first found out why God created you. And let you live this long in this world. Then I tried to say to you last night that God had planted within your hearts a well that was flowing like a river. And if for some reason it was not flowing, it was because you'd let sin and Satan fill it up with something. And you needed to clean it out. We're living in a world of confusion. Never been so many confused people and mixed up people. But if you'll get two things settled in your heart and mind, you can't be confused. Number one is if you're sure that you're saved. If you can go back to that experience and say right there that day or that night, I settled it with Christ and he received me. And I was born into the family of God and had the witness in my heart that I'm a child of God. If you go back and anchor yourself to that, no storm can blow you down. In other words, I know I'm saved regardless of what happens to me. I'm saved whether people like me or don't like me. I'm saved whether I'm sick or well. I'm saved whether I'm poor or rich. I'm saved whether I'm young or old. I'm saved whether I'm liked or disliked. I'm saved. And nothing, no storm shall upset me and confuse me. I know I'm saved. And that's the only thing for me to be worried about in that direction. Then if I know that I'm doing what God created me to do, brought me in the world to do, saved me to do, and called me to do, then what is it to confuse me? You couldn't confuse a person who knows that they're saved beyond any shadow of a doubt and who knows that they're doing what God brought them in the world to. How could you confuse a person like that? Nothing to get confused over. Folks who are confused are people that's not sure of their status.
They get all confused about whether I'm saved or whether I'm living like I'm supposed to or not. But if you'll find out what God has for you to do and do it, there's no confusion. I'm thinking tonight over in South Carolina in a cotton field is a little boy picking cotton one day and the Spirit of God came down upon him and said, I want you to go preach the gospel to my people. He became the Prince of Preachers. That is none other than R.G. Lee. I never saw him confused in all of my experiences with him. He never got confused. He knew he was doing what God called him to do and mentioned to him in the cotton patch that day. Just across the fence was another cotton field. Another lad picking cotton. Spirit of God came upon that lad and said, I want you to go and be a great surgeon and heal my people when they're sick. He left his cotton sack and became one of the greatest surgeons. Established the Sanders Clinic in Memphis and people has flown back from all over the world and he traveled all over the world teaching young surgeons how to perform certain surgery on human beings to help spare their lives. I was close to him. I knew him up until he died. And we sat in his office at times and talked, and I never saw him confused about anything. And I could go on and repeat it with others who knew when God saved them and knew why God called them. There wasn't any confusion. They wasn't disturbed. So if you don't know that you're saved, get it settled once and for all. And if you don't know that you're doing what God created you to do, find out what it is and yield to do it. You've got nothing else to worry about, nothing to confuse you. You can go through life enjoying life. Some folks are living in life miserable because they're all mixed up and don't know where they're at and where they're going. That shouldn't be. We ought to know where we are and who we are and what we are and know that we're saved. Now then, we're living in a world today when seducing spirits and doctrines of devils are trying to seduce us and lead us astray and get us mixed up and get us off after a bunch of seducing things. Never been a time when there's so many seducing spirits of different doctrines, seducing things of the flesh. Now I want to talk to you about that tonight, my friends. We've come to the place where we've been so brainwashed, as I said last evening, by the television media, that nothing's wrong in America anymore. People living like they... Anything their flesh desires, they yield to it. Everybody else is doing it. There's nothing wrong. It's become the common thing for people to sin. So as a result, we've got a great onslaught of sin, divorce and remarriage and fornication and sexual immorality in its worst sorts, in its vilest condition. That's the reason the gays and Lisbons, if you please, say there's no harm in their immoral acts. That's the reason homes are crumbling and they feel not condemned about it. That's the reason of all the dope and 
and drunkenness among us today creeping into your schools and into your homes and your community. We're looking upon it as nothing too bad. We're looking today that nothing's wrong anymore. That folks are just making mistakes and it's not sin. But I want you to know that the Word of God here is letting us know, my friends, there's an aftermath of sin. God said, my friends, that we shall reap our sin effect. And I want us to recognize that you can't help but lose when you start to live out of the will of God and living a life of sin. You're cheating God out of your life, out of your talents. And any time you cheat, you get cheated. For example, when you were in school, if you cheated your way through and didn't prepare your mind, you get out in the business world, the professional world, and the world will cheat you because your mind's not trained to handle it. If you got out and went through school and cheated your way as some professional person, you'll find yourself cheated because you can't cope with the needs of the professional world. Why? You just cheated your way through and you got through, you got by man, you got by the faculty, you got by the school, you got by the colleges and universities, but you didn't get by the fact that now you've been the loser because you can't cope with the things that's come upon us. So as a result, a lot of folks think they can just go on sinning and there'll be no aftermath to it. God said, I'll chastise those whom I love, and if you're without chastening, then you're bastards and not sons. Now, I want you to know tonight, my brother, sister, that there's a chastening hand of God against sin. And I want you to realize that there is a reaping day of sin. If you sow, you've got to reap. If you sow to the flesh, you shall of the flesh reap corruption. If you sow to the Spirit, you shall reap of the Spirit life. So as we think about it, cheating on God, chiseling on God, trying to get by. You know it's down deep inside. Something's told you it's wrong, but you're trying to chisel. You're trying to cheat. You're trying to get by God. And you think it's going to be all right, but it isn't. Because there's some things you lose in your experiences with God. When you do it, and I want to think about that tonight. Sin is more than most people think it is. You know, most people think of sin in in just five things. Murder, drunkenness, lying, stealing, and adultery. So, son, Charles Baxford, first thing people think about, what did he do? Did he commit murder? Did he get drunk? Did he... Get caught lying or stealing or committing adultery. A lot of folks think if you don't commit adultery and don't murder and don't lie and don't steal, that you're a pretty good person. But I want you to realize tonight, my friends, is 726 different sins mentioned in the Word of God. Not just five, but 726 of them. And... So then, as a result, you mentioned those five, but you still got 721 more to deal with and to face. So we need to wake up to the fact, just because I'm not a murderer, 
hadn't committed adultery, hadn't been drunk, hadn't been a liar, hadn't been a thief. There's some other things I have been and I am being. I need to face the reality of it that the judgment of God will come. The chastening hand of God will come. And I shall be the loser because of it. And I want you to realize in the very beginning of, of our thinking on this, he said, those that do these things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, you mentioned them. Look at them again there. Which are manifest, which of these adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lascivious, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, barrenness, emulations, wrath, strife, sedition, heresies, endings, murders, drunkenness, revelings, and such like. I tell you that those who continue in these things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Now keep in mind the wording there, and let's look back for verification of it all in the book of First Corinthians. The sixth chapter and the ninth verse. Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor abuse themselves mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. What he's talking about there is the inheritance. Which is simply saying, my friends, your soul isn't lost because you've sinned some sin. It isn't going to be lost because you've sinned some sin. But it's going to affect your inheritance in eternity. Because after all, your salvation doesn't depend upon the sin you commit or don't commit. Your salvation depends upon a birth. As many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God. First chapter of John. Didn't say as many as quit their sinning, and as many as got sinless and perfect received the power. No, no! As many as received him, talking about Jesus Christ, he gave them power to become the sons of God, which were born. First Peter tells us that we were born of an imperishable seed. The incorruptible seed which liveth and abideth forever. Book of Luke, he said, Neither can they die any more, the equal end unto the angels and all the children of the resurrection. Jesus said, They that believe in me shall never perish. Neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand, I'll in no wise cast out any that come to me. He that eateth of this bread shall live forever. So, my friends, it's the matter of eating of the bread of life, which is Christ. Taking of the water of life, which is Christ. There comes a well of water bubbling up into everlasting life. It's a matter of being born into the kingdom of God, not joining it or living it or trying to get good enough to get in. It's an instantaneous act of God that saves your soul. And he tells us in the book of Ecclesiastes 3.14, Whatsoever God doeth, it shall be forever. You can't add anything to it and take anything from it. So when God saved your soul, He saved it forever. If you tried a thousand years, you couldn't get a bit better saved. If you tried another thousand, you couldn't get a bit less saved. Because when God saves your soul, you can't add nothing to it, you can't take nothing from it. He didn't save it on the basis of you being sinless or going to be sinless or perfect. 
He saved it because you received the seed. Salvation. We receive with our heart the seed of God, which is Jesus Christ. And as a result, we're born into the family of God. We are quickened. Matter of fact, salvation happens so suddenly that, my friends, you can't talk about it in the past except in the past tense. You hath he quickened. Not going to do it already did it when you believe. He that believeth hath everlasting life. Not going to have it, you had it when you believe. So as a result, salvation is an instantaneous act of God so sudden that you can't talk about it except in the past. In other words, my friends, you don't go out and touch a live electric wire and say, I'm now being shocked. No, you touch a wire. I'm shocked. You don't touch a red hot stove saying, I'm now being burned. You touch a stove, burnt me. You don't touch the living Spirit of God and say, I'm now being saved. You touch the living Spirit of God, I'm saved forever. It's not done. If you didn't want to go to heaven and you got saved, it's too late to change your mind. You're going to go now anyhow. Because that's just the way God ordered it. My friends, Jesus said, those thou gavest me, I've kept none of them's lost. He's never lost the one that God gave him. Never will lose the one that God gave him. So as a result, something else, the moment that God saved your soul, the Holy Ghost of God sealed it. How long? Until the day of redemption. Like your wife or mother puts vegetables or meat in a can and seals them up and sets them on the shelf until the day of use. Wait a minute, preacher, sometimes that spoils. If it sparked, it wasn't sealed. If it had been sealed, it couldn't, couldn't spoil. And he sealed you. How long is he sealed good? Unto the day of redemption. Seal also, if he please, means ownership. When God saved you, the seal was placed. That meant God's ownership. And as a result of it, that's the way it is. I wrote to a pastor a letter about this and addressed it to Curtis Barbary Bennett in North Carolina and put it in an envelope and sealed it up. Put a 15-cent stamp on it. My secretary carried it to the post office and dropped it in the post office. Three or four different people handled it at Myrtle. Finally got on the mail truck and went to Memphis and the distribution center of the mail in Memphis. Some 15 and 20 different people handled it. Then finally it came to North Carolina and distributed to Sherhammer. Finally, the rural carrier brought it to his mailbox. But regardless of who handled it, some 30 people probably handled it at the time it left my hand until it got to his hand. But his first class sealed up to be delivered to him. And regardless of who handled it, regardless of who took a hold of it, all they could do is pass it on. But when he got it, it's his mail, he could open it up. That's exactly when God saved your soul. The Holy Ghost sealed it up and put on there God the Father, the Holy City, the New Jerusalem, and stamped it. And my friends, regardless of how many devils handles me between here and there, all they can do is pass me on. Pass me on. Pass me on. Pass me on. I am God's mail addressed to God the Father, the Holy City, the New Jerusalem. Bad devils, big devils, all the devils cohorted together can't take that mail and destroy it. The Holy Ghost of God put it in there and it'll get to God the Father. So I'm saying that to say this. 
You're not saved because of one sin. You quit or you're going to quit. You're saved through Jesus Christ, sealed by the Holy Ghost. You're born into the family of God. You don't work into it and you don't live good enough. Get into it. So I want you to realize tonight, my brother, sister, that salvation is the gift of God. And it's an eternal act of God. So, I want you to realize something. It's not a sin that's going to send you to hell, and it's not some sin that's going to keep you out of heaven. Not that at all. Let's look at it. I had a friend over at Savannah, Tennessee, Mr. Callahan. He heard me preach one night about souls being saved eternally. He said, I don't believe it. I believe it can be lost. I said, you don't believe it. He said, yes, I do. Finally, I said to him, I said, brother, I want to ask you something. Do you know when you got saved? He said, I can take you in two inches where I said, when the Lord saved me, you and the devil, nobody else can't make me doubt my experience. I know I'm saved. I said, I'm not trying to make you doubt, just want to be sure you're saved. Now, I said, do you think you can be lost after you're saved? I said, what loses you after you're saved? He said, sin, of course. I said, okay. We talked about something else so I wouldn't see I was slipping up on him. I want to hear him in. And I said, I want to ask you a question before I leave. Have you ever sinned since you got saved? He said, well, sure. Thought a foolish sin. I said, yes. Foolish gesture sin. I said, yes. To him that knoweth do good and do it, but not to him it's sin. I said, yes. Mentioned two or three other things. I said, brother, let me ask you something. Would you say you'd sinned a hundred times a year? Since you got saved, he said, no, thousands. I said, hundred. Keep it in a hundred bar. You've been saved 16 years, then you've sinned 1,600 times, right? He said, it'd be thousands. I said, no, we're going to keep it down in the hundred bracket. I said, now look me straight in the eye. Do you mean to tell me you've been lost 1,600 times since you got saved? He said, no. I had never been. He come this way and said, I don't guess I do believe that, do I? I said, I knew you didn't when you started. If you're going to let one sin lose your brother, one will lose you as quick as the other. If sin's going to lose you, which one loses you? Face the truth. My friends, you're not saved because you don't commit certain sins. You can live as clean as an angel and never sin a sin. Still go to hell if you're not born again. So your salvation, brother and sister, depends upon the birth, the new birth, the spiritual birth received in Christ and getting your soul sealed under the evil of redemption. And I want you to realize tonight that's one thing I want you to see. So you go to heaven through Jesus Christ. Not through perfection, not through sinlessness and perfect living, but to go to heaven through Jesus. He said, I'm the door. If any man comes in, he comes in through me. So recognize that God sent him to seek and to save. You ever save? Jesus does the saving. So, my friends, keep this in mind. He said, if you continue practicing these things and continue in them, you shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Which is simply saying, 
You're cutting off your rewards in heaven by living a worldly, sinful, indifferent, careless life. You're not going to send your soul to hell. No, no, no. If it's been saved, it's still saved. But you sure can cut down your payroll by practicing the things of this world and giving it over to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils and giving over to the lust of the eye and the lust of the flesh. You can certainly shorten your payroll. You're cheating yourself, not God. You're just cheating yourself out of your payroll. It's what you're doing just like if you loafed on the job and didn't do the job you was hired to do. Soon you'll lose your payroll. So there's a lot of difference in entering and inheriting. I've entered a lot of places I didn't inherit it. I entered your preacher's home when he first got it built. Beautiful place, but I didn't inherit it. I've been there three or four times. I wish I had it move in. But because entered it didn't inherit it. You've entered a lot of places you didn't inherit, and yet these people inherited places they never saw or never entered. See the difference? Entering's one thing, inheriting's another. We had a lady in our church, an elderly woman, and the lady had a car accident out in front of her home. She ran out and rescued her with the wrecked car and carried her in and bathed and put medicine on the wounded places. Called the doctor and called the wreck and got a car carried in repaired and kind of nursed the lady for three or four days until she's able to go on away and the car was repaired. She started to leave. The lady tried to pay this church member. She said, oh, no, honey, I did it because that's my Christian duty and Christian privilege. Forget it. I wouldn't think of taking nothing. You robbed me of my blessing. The lady got in the car and drove away, and the woman didn't even really know where she's going to. And all she'd done is minister to her. Five years passed by, and one day, knock on the door and went to the door. The mail carrier said, Special deliver letter registered. It'll have to be signed for her. She signed for the letter, and as soon as the mail carrier was gone, she opened it up and said, This is inform you that Mrs. So-and-so has deceased, and you are the sole heir of her possessions. As her administrator and as her attorney, you please, I'm advising you that you're the only one that shall inherit anything she had. She's left her home, her bank account, and her land and all of her property to you. She seemed to have no children or no family. You helped her sometime in the hour of distress and in appreciation of it. She's deeded everything to you. Please have your attorney to contact me and claim the inheritance. This lady had never seen that woman's home, never been in the state of Oklahoma, never seen her property, didn't know anything about her bank account, but she inherited all. She didn't enter that home. She didn't own that ground. She didn't enter the bank where her money was. But she inherited it all. Why? She did something for somebody that had it, and they left it with her. And so, my friends, entering has nothing to do with it. You're going to go to help me if you're saved through Jesus Christ. And that alone. But if you do things for Jesus like this woman did something for that lady... She prepared for her to inherit because of it. 
And you've inherited things, my friends, that you never saw, some of you, and never did any of what you inherited. And that's the difference. We'll inherit for serving God. But on the other hand, my friends, we won't enter because of serving God. Jesus is the door in. Keep that in your mind tonight. All the difference in the world. No sin. Hear me. No sin is going to send you to hell. No sin is going to put you in hell. You are saved through Jesus Christ. Plus nothing, minus nothing. And that's settled forever. No matter what people tell you, no matter what kind of seducing doctrines of devils you hear, and you've got a lot of folks say, Oh, you can be lost in. Ask them which sin going to lose them. Oh, I believe you can be lost at your safe. Ask them what sin's going to lose them. 726 of them. Which one's going to lose them? Just some heresy they've got. Don't let them upset you. Don't let them confuse you. Don't let them lead you astray. If you're washed in the blood of the Lamb, if you've been born into the family of God, it's forever. It's incorruptible seed. It's imperishable seed which liveth and abideth forever, and he'll never cast you out, and nobody can't take you out. You shall never perish. So get that thing established. But it can affect what you might inherit in the kingdom of God when you get there. When we cheat on God, we lose some things, if you please. I'll mention a few of them hurriedly. First of all, when we cheat on God, a lot of times we lose our prayer privilege. We lose the privilege of praying. Isaiah 59. 59th chapter of the book of Isaiah. Let's look at it. Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened, that it cannot save. Neither is ear heavy, that it cannot hear. But your iniquities separate between you and your God, and your sins have hid his face from you, that he will not hear. What's he saying? God's not grown deaf that he can't hear. God's hand is not shrunk up and shriveled up that he can't reach down and save. But your sins have separated between you and your God. Hid as it were his face from you. What is it? My sins has caused a drape to be drawn between me and God. When I pray, He won't reach His hands down through my sinful worldly living to save that which I won't save. When I pray, He won't hear my prayers, He can't hear them through my sinfulness. So I lose the privilege of prayer as a saint of God, as a child of God. Just like you tell your children, well, you can't have so-and-so because you didn't mind daddy, because you didn't mind mother. You can't have it. They cry, they kick, and they holler and rebel, but they don't get it because you said you can't have it because you did wrong. That's what God's doing. He's correcting His children. He's making us suffer. And so as a result, many times... We don't get saved what we won't save. We don't get a prayer answered because sin has got between us and God. Then over in the book of Psalms, 66, chapter 18, verse, If I have regard in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. 
I have regard for iniquity in my heart. The Lord won't hear me. I don't have to get out and sin. I don't have to get out and indulge in sin. I can be sympathetic with it. I don't see no harm in desecrating God's day. I don't see no harm in dancing. I don't see no harm in drinking. I don't see no harm in cussing. I'll tell you what time is. As long as you feel that way, God won't answer your prayer. If we have regard for not iniquity, just have respect and sympathy for it. God will not answer your prayers when it's like that. So, my friends, sometimes you think you're a preacher. It's down simple. I've got something in my heart against Curtis Barbary. I just can't forgive him. I just won't forgive him. I get out and say, Lord, forgive me of my sins. But don't make me forgive old Curtis. I can't forgive Curtis. But Lord, you forgive me of my sins. I'm asking God to do something I won't even do. See, I'm putting myself above God. I'm down here begging and demanding God to forgive me my sins. And I'm saying to God, I don't have to forgive. I'm bigger than God. I'm better than God. No, you're not. And as long as you've got something in your heart against somebody, God isn't going to forgive you your sins. I don't care how sincere and how you cry or weep. But preacher, you don't understand what all they did to me and said about me and how they treated me. You don't understand how you hurt God when His Son had to suffer hell and go to the cross and die for your sins either. That is not how they hurt. God didn't say if they didn't hurt you too bad for Him. He said when you go to pray, if you got anything, anything in your heart against anybody, forgive them so God can forgive you. But if you do not forgive, neither will God forgive Hey, my brother, sister, I want you to know tonight God will not forgive your sins as long as you hold anything in your heart against anybody regardless of how come it to get in there. The Word can't lie to save your hide. And God said He won't do it. You say, but old preacher, I've been treated as so have I. I've had people treat me as dirty as anybody you ever saw. But the one daily prayer of my life the one heart cry of my life. God, don't let me get hurt at somebody. Because I don't want to get hurt at somebody where I can't pray and ask God to forgive me my sins. I need to go every day and say, Lord, forgive me my sins. But if i got something against this brother, he won't forgive me. i got to get forgiveness of my sins or God will beat me up. You, a Baptist, put your sin? Yes. And if you say you don't sin, you sin right then because you told a lie. Yes, I sin. But I got folks calling me from all over this nation, begging me to pray. Just before I came over here, I answered the phone. Young man up in Kentucky, up in Louisville, trying to carry on a mission. And he said, Preacher, tomorrow night at 7.15, join me in the church. We've got a brother that's in terrible trouble. 
We believe if you'll join us and help pray, God will help him. That is, all day, all hours of the day, all hours of the night, people are crying and calling me. Their homes are breaking. Their churches are coming apart. Young preachers are getting disappointed, ready to throw in the towel and quit. And they say, would you and your church pray for us? And we call prayer meetings all hours of the day, all hours of the night. And I find myself two and three o'clock in the morning with the phone ringing. Young preachers and other people whose homes are breaking and different things want me to pray with them over the phone. I've got to stay in shape to pray. I can't afford to get somebody in my way by getting hurt at them. Neither can you. Think of how many people depending on you to pray for them. Your loved ones, your friends, your neighbors, your church, your preacher is depending on you to pray. And if you've got stuff in your heart, you can't pray. Hey, you need not get anything in that heart. Stay where you can pray. Oh, how people need to be prayed for. More so now than ever before. I've never known so many preachers having problems with churches, and I've never known so many homes crumbling as they are today, constantly calling, constantly crying, and begging for somebody to pray. My brother, sister, we've got to stay in praying, praying territory. Don't let something get in your heart to satisfy your selfish feelings and your hurt feelings. Kick it out! So you can pray when you need to pray. So God will answer you. Because He won't answer your prayers if you've got unforgiveness in there. Then, my friends, we lose our fellowship with God. Stop to remember, my friends, we can't do no good of praying if we're out of fellowship with God. Listen to the Word of God over the book of James 4.4. 4. Ye adulterers and adulterers, know ye not that the friendship of the world is enmity with God? Whosoever therefore will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. What's he saying? He's saying, you adulterers and adulteresses. Who is that? That say people's going out of the spiritual realm and committing spiritual adultery with the world. The men, it's adulterers. And with the women, it's adulterers. People who are getting out of fellowship with God and running around lusting with the world and fooling with the world. As a result of it, neither friendship of the world is enmity with God. Whosoever therefore be a friend of the world is enemy of God. Oh, how many of us tonight are trying to hold hands with the world and become God's enemy? If you're holding hands with worldliness tonight and playing with the world, and sympathizing with the world. You can't fellowship God. God can't fellowship sin. God can't approve sin. God can't sanction sin. And when you start holding hands with worldliness and worldly living, don't expect God to fellowship you. You lose your fellowship with the eternal God of this universe when you start it. My friends, if we walk in the light as He's in the light, the blood of Jesus Christ, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. We have fellowship one with another. The enemies of God, they're hostile toward God. They hate God. They rebel on God. They reject God. 
then my friends, we lose our rewards if we're spending our time serving the world. First Corinthians the fourteenth, the third chapter, fourteen, fifteen verse said, If any man's work shall be burned, he himself shall be saved so as before, but his work shall be lost. Yes, all your works can be burned up. You still be saved as though by far. Because salvation is not by works, but through Jesus Christ. Some folks will get to heaven. Be like a fellow I saw one night, his home burned. He was changing banks and he just drawed all his money out and had it in the home. Home burnt, burnt everything he had, burnt all of his wealth up. Somebody passing by and not kicked the window light, knocked the window light out and woke him up and drug him out of the bed. Dragged the rocking chair out in the field. He didn't have nothing but his pajamas on. He's sitting out there in the rocking chair in the field, watching his hounds fall in as the flames went up. Lost all he had. Had nothing but a robe. A lot of folks going to get to heaven and all their works are going to be burned up. We have nothing but a robe. Why? They've served the world. My brother, sister, when you spend your talent and time serving the world, then you're going to not expect God to pay you. If I work for this man for 30 days, I don't go and ask the preacher Barbara to pay me. He said, well, let the guy you work for pay you. So if you're going to work for the world and the things of the world and the place of the world, just forget it. God isn't going to pay you when the end of time comes. You're cheating your own future. You're robbing your own bank account. He said, store up treasures where the malls don't eat. Thieves don't steal. Rust don't corrode. Because life does not consist, my friends, of the things of this world. It's consisting of the spiritual needs that are about us. Then we're not only that, but you can lose your influence. By living like the world and living out of the will of God, you lose your influence. Take, for example, Lot. His righteous soul was vexed because he moved down in Sodom and Gomorrah. Moved down there for materialism. Moved down there to get his, his cows, his herds, plenty of grass and plenty of water. And he was making it well. But when he got down there, he lost his influence on his family. His family wouldn't listen to him when he tried to get them to come back out. When God was threatening the place of brimstone and fire, they laughed at Lot, and the Scripture said one of the daughters and son-in-laws put him outside of the gate and told him to get away. He saw all he had burn up, lost everything, his cattle, his herdmen, lost his family and his wife on the way out, turned to a pillar of salt. He stripped of all he had. So Buxley, when he got out, he committed adultery with his two daughters and gave birth to two of the wickedest generations that ever hit the face of the earth. The Amorites and Moabites and took ten generations to clear that mess up. Why? Because he got off down there in the materialistic world and forgot his God and forgot the altars. Hey, you can take out with a worldly crowd and pitch your tent with the Sabbath desecrators and leave your church and pitch your tent with the cussers and the dram drinkers and social drinkers entertaining world and leave your church and leave your Christ out. And I'll tell you, my friends, you'll lose your family while you're doing it. You lose. You shall not inherit. 
Won't damn your soul, won't Lot went to heaven, but all the what else went to hell over it. I want you to realize, my friends, we lose also, we lose our talents and our positions. While we slack upon God and take out on God, we're losing our talents. Moses disobeyed God and smoked the rock. Instead of speaking to it, he never was allowed to get in the promised land. Every time he'd start to walk over on the promised land, God made him take his foot back. Why? Act of disobedience. Refuse to do what God wanted him to do. If you want to use your talent for God, then God will take it away and give it to somebody else. The man who had one talent and didn't invest it, didn't God take it away and give it to somebody else and then put a curse on him? So will you. You lose by not developing their talents. Illustration. I think I used to win a ship before to illustrate what I want to say. Down in Florida, I was in a meeting. Crowds coming. One night, a lot of lost people there. And the music director came in and told the pastor just before time for service, something's happened over at the plant. He is high up in the plant, superintendent or something. Said something's turned up over there. I've got to be there. I can't be here tonight. And the poor preacher got so nervous and upset, I thought he'd have a heart attack almost. Said, I don't know what we're going to do. I said, well, preacher, don't faint. Don't get all worked up like that. I can preach without a song. I have in other places. Up in the mountains and places. Didn't, couldn't sing a song. I just get up and preach. I can't hear. Said, oh, people won't understand it. And he's wringing his hands and walking the floor. Just before service started, a man walked in, he and his wife, and sat down. Said, you see that couple? I said, yes, sure did. He said he used to be the greatest singer in this country. Said if he'd come up here and sing tonight, this whole crowd would break out for God. But I, he won't come fast if you asked him. I said, okay. So I slipped out the door. I didn't just want to go head on to him. I slipped out the door and went around the outside and come in the front door and slipped down behind him. Laid my arm around him. I said, I'm the preacher here holding the meeting. And something's turned up the last minute that the song leader had to go to the factory to meet an emergency over there. And we need a song leader real bad. And I understand you, you've been a song leader for years. Would you come, be kind enough to come and lead the singing for us tonight in the absence of the musician? I put my arm around and I said, fella, don't act like that. Have you been saved? Then come on. And I told him how bad we needed him. And finally he tried to talk and his vocal cords all messed up. He said, I wish I could. I wish I could. I said, oh. He said, preacher, eight years ago, I got mad at the preacher and tried to get the deacons, run him off. They wouldn't. I got mad at the deacons and quit the church. And I hadn't been back to church. I went to a doctor today. He told me my vocal cords are eat up with cancer. And I've got only three months to live. I wish I could. I'd be glad to. 
but he couldn't. God dealing with his sinful rebellion. I went on and got up and preached. I got through, I said, we're going to stand and you invited to come to the altar. No music, no singing. Little old boy, freckled face, snaggled tooth, patched overhaul, barefooted, his knuckles black with dirt. I'd seen him three or four times, tried to speak to him, he'd run, he's so timid and backward, he didn't want to speak to a stranger. I looked and here he came down the aisle running and threw those little old arms around me and said, Preacher Ray! I said, What? He said, Jesus wants me to sing. I said, Well, good. Praise the Lord. When you grow up, you'll be a singer, huh? He said, No. Now. I said, Oh, you, you've already become a singer now. And when you get old enough, you'll start singing. He said, no, he wants me to sing right now. I looked at the preacher and he gave it that. I looked at the deacons and some of the rest of them beside deacons did that. I had him on my hands. I had to do something with that lad. I said, son, do you mean to tell me that Jesus told you to come down here and sing right now? He said, Mister, that's what he said, and I'm down here. What are you going to do about it? I said, I'm going to let you sing. I said, you want the piano? So get over the piano and play for you. He said, I don't know about that thing. You didn't tell me that. He told me to sing. I said, okay, sing. He lifted those little old trembly, dirty hands. The glory of God fell on that boy's face. Looked like a beacon light had been turned on him. He started to sing, and before he got through the first stanza, 19 of the roughest sinners in town had got to the altar to get saved. You know what happened? God went back down there and took the talent out of that old rebellious song leader's throat and put it in that little boy and put him in action. You keep one thing in mind. When you get to pouting and take out on the talent God's given you and go off and pout and lay out and fuss and fume and murmur and gripe and belly, just remember, God isn't going to sit down and wait for you to get in shape. He'll pass you up and get somebody else to take his business. Hey, God ain't got time to stop the train for you to run around and loaf and belly and gripe. God moves on. And if you're not going to get in, bless God, He'll save somebody else and put them in. He can't wait on you, but you've done lost your chance and lost your place, lost your position, and God's marching on. The kingdom of God's advancing. Face the truth tonight. He don't have to have me or you either one. He can run it without us. Then, my friends, won't you realize something else? You rob God of your tithes and offerings. You're cursed with a curse. You won't go to hell for not paying tithe. Paying a tithe won't get you to heaven. Jesus saves you. But if you rob God of a tithe, then you're cursed with a curse because you rob God. You rob Him of reverence. Because you don't believe what He said, then you don't reverence Him. You rob him of revenue because you don't honest, be honest with him, and you rob him of a revival. You can't have a revival robbing God. Afraid to let it break out. 
Afraid you'd have to put out a little. Well, the Baptist church can't have a revival because they've got so many skin flint God robbers in there holding the money. They're afraid for revival breaks out, it'll cost them something. When we reverence God, we'll give Him the revenue that belongs to Him. And then He said, I hope up the windows of heaven and pour out a blessing. But if you rob God, you're cursed with a curse. Not going to be. You already are. Then we lose our protection. When we start worldly living, going to have off these seducing spirits and doctrines of devils, we lose our protection. I mentioned it, I think last night, I want to mention it again tonight. Last week I talked to some very, very precious people. But they got off in this tongue movement. Got off mixed up with that, quit the church, and gone running around with that crowd. And God took His blessings off of them. They're so confused and mixed up. They don't know. They've been, they're going to have to go to, they've already been to psychiatric doctors, and they suggested put them in mental institutions. What is it? Went off after seducing spirits and doctrines of devils instead of loving the church and stand with it. I'll tell you, my brother. Sister, we've got a lot of good, good people that's got mixed up in this movement of tongues and left their church and followed off after a bunch of uh, this stuff and followed with uh, PTL clubs and 700 clubs and what kind of club you have, deeper light stuff and all that. Getting all mixed up with seducing spirits and doctrine of the devil. Hey, the Lord loved the church and gave himself for it and the Lord added to the church. And if God can't get you to stay in the church, He'll turn you over the devil. Let the devil get you. We've got so many people that's gone away from the churches, seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. And they're so confused and so mixed up, they're nervous wrecks. You can't do nothing with them. And we're going to have an onslaught of that thing. It's going to be pitiful. In the next few months, a year or so, going to be in caught in that mess. That's going to be so confused and so mixed up. Most of them will wind up in some hospital, some of us. Won't you realize, my beloved, there's no protection. When you go off after some seducing spirits and doctrines of the devil, there's no protection. Then listen, he said, He that eateth and drinketh unworthily not discerning the body and the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, eateth and drinketh damnation to himself. Not his soul. You can't damn a soul that's been saved. Already told you that. But you're drinking damnation to yourself. What is it? You accept the fact Jesus shed his blood and gave his life and saved you. Then you go out and say, well, I'm saved. I belong to church. I can live like I please. Go where I please. Stay home when I please. Just let her go. I got it made. I'm saved. What are you saying? You're saying the blood and the sacrifice of the Son of God don't mean all that much to me. I can live like I want to. You're eating and drinking unworthy, and God said your bodies will be sick and will fail premature grave. said many of you are sickly and some dead already because you eat and drink unworthy, not discerning the body and the blood. And then there's old Saul, who was a great king. God said, go over there and kill the Amaleks. Destroy the thing of God. He went over there and people said, it's a dirty shame. Kill all this good beef and mutton and us hungry for it. 
He said, I tell you what, pick out the choice oxen, choice sheep, and send them home. We'll kill the rest of the scrubs. And they did. And all Saul said, Praise God, I got the job done. But the prophet of God said, Saul, why can you say that when I hear the bleating of the sheep and the lowing of the oxen? Where'd they come from? Saul said, The people, they said. But you see, my friends, God told Saul to do something. He didn't tell the people. And Saul listened to the people instead of God. And God took the anointing off of them and turned an evil spirit loose on them and made him kill himself. Now, the reason some of you take out on God, you say, well, some of the people, they said, some of the deacons, they said, some of the women, they said, some of the young people, they said, forget what they said, you do what God said. You get to listen, they say, and the devil get the anointing off of you, and you'll be eat up with confused spirits. God help us to see it. And then I want you to realize, my friends, God help you to know beyond any shadow of a doubt, your health depends on your serving God. You can lose your inheritance. Not your soul, but your inheritance. Let me give you a couple of illustrations. Over the state of Mississippi, we had a man over there that was rich. One of the richer men of our day. Had five children. His youngest daughter was named was Johnny. She's a blonde-headed girl and the prettiest you ever looked at. The worldly bunch took after her. Began to lead her astray. And the old man tried to keep her from going. He'd whip her and he'd correct her and he'd cry and he'd talk to her. But she still wanted to go to the dance club, nightclubs and road houses and drink with them. Couldn't do nothing with her. He whipped her many times and cried and prayed and talked to her. But she'd still go. One day she became of age. She went and said, Dad, is this my birthday? He said, so. How old am I? He told her. said, then from this day on I'm a woman of my own. Am I not according to the law? He said, according to the law of the state you are. She said, then I'll live as I please. Do as I please. Go where I please. There's not a thing you can do about it. I'm a woman of own. The old man broke down and cried and said, Yes, there is. I can leave you out of the inheritance. And take care of that. Three years later, the old gentleman died when the will was read to Johnny. His youngest daughter left only $500. The others got about two and a half million apiece. A lot of property. And a lot of continued endowment they draw every month as long as they live. But to my daughter Johnny, who was disobedient and rebellious against her father, I allow only $500. If either of the four children shall share with her part of theirs, they shall lose their right to inheritance. They put it in the courts and the courts of the land and kept it in court for 12 months but couldn't break the will. All that girl got was $500 out of the several million. She's as much of the flesh, blood, and bone of the old fella as the other four children were. She's as much his daughter as the other four children was his children. But inherited only 500 out of millions. Why? Disobedience. Same thing. 
You're as much saved as I am. I'm as much saved as you are. But we shall lose our inheritance by our disobedience and rebellion against God. Living for the world rather than for God. May God help you to realize it. Then we've got a biblical illustration. I'll give you that and we'll go. Prodigal son. Man had two boys. The younger one said, give me the portion of goods that belong to me. I'm tired of being under control. He gave him his portion. Divided the estate. He went into a far country and spent all he had with righteous livers. Women, booze, liquor. Lived it up. Lost his character, lost his manhood, lost his happiness. And as a result, there he is, down there in the hog pen with the hogs. He is a son when he got the division of the wealth. He's a son while he's carrying it down there. He's a son while he's spinning it. He's a son when it's all spent. He's still a son down here in the hog pen. Still a son. He said, here I am down here starving. My father's got hard servants, got something to eat and somewhere to stay. I'm not fit to be a son. I'll get up and go home and get my father and get him to give me a servant's place. I'm not fit to be a son. Gets up ragged, crippling along, heads back home. The father sees him and runs out, welcomes him home. Got a servant to put a robe on him, shoes on his feet and ring on his finger. Told him, kill the fat calf and feed the boys hungry. Needed shoeing, he needed robing. He could not deny that he was his son. He was his son. Once a son, always a son. No way he didn't keep him being a son. Soon the elder brother who'd stayed at home and served his father and took care of things, come down to the barn. He heard him making music and he called for the servant. The servant went down and said, what's all... The, going on up the hounds. said, oh, your brothers come home. Your fathers killed a fatted calf. They're having a celebration. Your brothers come home. Didn't strike the older brother too well. He just stayed. Father went down and said, son, come rejoice with me. Your brother's home. Come on, rejoice with me. And the son said, dad, what's going on? Look, dad, what's happening? I never left home. I never became rebellious. I never got nasty with you, ugly. I stayed here and looked after you and mother and looked after everything. Been faithful. You know me as much as give me a kid, a little old goat to make me marry my friends. But as soon as this thy son, the elder brother didn't die in being a son, as soon as this thy son come home, Who's took all your hard-earned money you and mother suffered for? Gone down and blowed in on crooked women and booze and night and clubbing and so on. As soon as you come home, you kill for him the fatted calf. What's going on? Why the difference? He said, son, I had to robe him. He's a son. Had to shoe him. Had to feed him. But son, all I have is thine. 
Don't you remember we divided the state and everything? So if you, I didn't have to give you a kid. It's already your kids. Your goats. All I have, the multiple, the increase of the cattle, of the wealth, of the promise, it's all yours. All he'll get is a robe and a ring and something to eat. He won't never get any inheritance. Those of you who stood by God's church, served God, honored God with your lives, you're going to get all God's got. He said, fear not, little flock. Fear not, faithful few, because it's my Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. But this crowd that's run out and gone with the world and kicked up the heels of the world and lived a world of life and spent their life in the world living for the devil, they're not going to inherit anything. He'll have to let them in heaven. He's made an everlasting a covenant. He'll have to shoe the dirty feet. He'll have to robe them. But he don't have to reward them. That's what you gain by living for Christ. The inheritance of God. That's what you lose by not living for Jesus. You lose all your rewards. You come out without anything except to get in heaven. You say, oh, if I just get in, I'll be happy. You won't when you see what you could have had, and you won't have it because you misused and misspent your life and time and talents. That's why God's Word talks about wiping tears from people's eyes. A lot of people are going to start crying because they wound up there without anything. God's going to wipe a tear and say, shut up now. It's your fault. Don't blame nobody. You have the same chance to get rewards as the others. There it is. These who continue in these things, the practicing of these worldly things of the flesh, shall not inherit in the kingdom of God. This is only temporary. Some of us may live to be 90 years old, but it's all in temporary. Eternity, where you're going to live with it forever, is where you need to stop your treasures. 